Our scripture this morning is from the book of Matthew, chapter 4, 23 to 25. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and the people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Rudy indicated earlier in the announcements, we're going to be exploring some of the major teaching sections found in the Gospel of Matthew over these next several weeks. The messages are going to, are going to look slightly different. Uh, they'll even look a little bit different week to week. Uh, oftentimes, we will read a shorter passage, and then I will kind of expound on the passage a little bit, search for some applications for us in our lives today. In this series, though, I'm wanting us to focus uh, our attention a little bit more on Jesus' teachings as a whole. We don't always think about Jesus and his uh, ministry actually sitting down for an entire message around uh, and with the disciples. And uh, in many of these teaching sections we find in Matthew were given as a whole, or at least they were coalesced together uh, afterwards. But uh, I think we'll glean something important from this. Now, um, in this, I will still be making some aside comments, uh, reflections, and, uh, and things along the way, but I want to make an effort, especially with today's message being uh, such an important and famous message that Jesus gave, uh, to let my own words be few. Let Jesus' words be made clear to us as they were given. He is, after all, a much better teacher and preacher than I am, uh, and ever have been, and ever will be. Uh, with that said, uh, we did mention in the announcements, uh, encourage you to, to read along with the Bible, and to maybe check my work as I go. If I make additions or a little uh, changes to the language to try to make it more uh, contextual or explain it, uh, you can decide for yourself if I did a good job or not. <laughs> you know, I, I may not have done that. Uh, but with all that said, we're going to get into of Jesus' most famous messages, the Sermon on the Mount. One day, early in Jesus' ministry, we're told that he looked out and saw the crowds. So he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said something like this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, but theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all sorts of evil things against you because of following Jesus. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its taste, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and 
put it under a bowl. That would be ridiculous. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let me tell you what righteousness and light really look like. Don't think for a second that the Christ has come to abolish the law or the prophets. The Messiah didn't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will be by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the so-called religious professionals, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You know, you've heard it said a long time ago, you shall not murder. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But the truth is, anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who verbally assaults a brother or sister is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. So if you are on your way to a worship service and you remember that a brother or a sister has something against you, stop then and there. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and worship with a free heart. It matters quickly with anyone taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way, or they might hand you over to the judge. And the judge may then hand you over to the officer, and you'd be thrown into prison. I tell you, you won't get out until you pay the last penny. You heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. It goes deeper than that, though. Anyone who looks at another lustfully has already committed adultery in their heart. So, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. Again, it's better to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. And you've heard that the law says a man can divorce his wife by giving her a written notice of divorce. But divorcing a spouse makes them the victim of adultery, assuming they were not unfaithful first. And anyone who marries a divorced person participates in the adultery. Again, you've heard it said to people long ago, don't break your oath. But fulfill the vow the, the, to the Lord the vows that you've made. But you shouldn't swear an oath at all, either by heaven, it's God's throne, or by the earth, it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, where it's the city of the great king. And don't even swear by your head. You cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond that's from the evil one. And you've heard that it was said eye for an eye or tooth for tooth. Resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, instead turn the other cheek to them also. And if anyone wants to be so petty as to sue you and take your shirt, over your coat as well. And if anyone forces you into doing work for them, do even more than they ask. Give to those who ask of you. Do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You heard that it was said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, 
that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And if you love those who love you, what reward are you going to get? Aren't even corrupt politicians doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Isn't that just basic human behavior? God's kingdom requires a greater faith and love than that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Listen, this isn't just about your image. It's about a restored, genuine heart. You really want to discover the treasure of heaven. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Because if you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to the needy, don't announce it like hypocrites do in their church services and broadcasts for all to see, to be honored by others. I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you do give to the needy, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand's doing so that your giving can be in secret. And your Father, who sees what's done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in their church services and in public events to be seen by others. And I tell you, they've received their reward in full. When you pray, go into your room. Close the door. Pray to your Father, who's unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep babbling on and on. Some people seem to think that they will be heard because of their many words. But don't be like them. Your Father knows what you need before you ask. If you're looking for words, pray like this. Our Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I'm curious about that forgiveness part. If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't give others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So, don't be a hypocrite when you give and pray, and also don't be showing in your fasting either. Don't be like those people who disfigure their faces when they're fasting. Tell you they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face, so that it won't be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your father who's unseen. And your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth, where moths rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where it can't be eaten away, where thieves won't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. The light within you is dark. darkness. Listen, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. 
Therefore, I tell you, don't worry. That's life. What you'll eat or drink or your body, what you wear. Isn't life more than food? The body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, but your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying at a single hour to your life, and don't worry about your clothes. See how the flowers grow. They don't labor or spend, but I tell you that not even Solomon and all his splendor was dressed like one of these. And if this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and is thrown into the, the fire, will he not much more clothe you? But don't worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All these things will be given to you. Well, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Don't judge. You too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Who, uh, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank? In your own eye, hypocrites, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. And don't give dogs what is sacred. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and will find. Ah, the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you're evil, will know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? When everything do to others what you would have them do to you. This sums up the law of the prophets. It comes down to our choices. Two roads, two trees, two confessions, two foundations. There's a road to life and a road to death. Enter through the narrow gate. Don't just take the path of least resistance. For wide is the gate, broad is the road that leads to destruction. Many who enter enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. We'll talk about two kinds of trees bearing either good fruit or bad fruit. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. But by your fruit you will recognize them. And do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree can't bear bad fruit, but a bad tree can't bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown to the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. 
There's also two kinds of confessions. About your own effort or your true relationship with God. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. Many people will say on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Jesus will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from the evildoers. There are two foundations. You can build your life on God or on some other substitute. Therefore, anyone who hears these words puts them into practice. It's like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words and does not put them into practice, like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Jesus spoke those words or something like them. And the audience was stunned. All the other religious leaders they'd heard, they spoke like they knew what they were talking about. They got into arguments and debates about how the law and the prophets were to be lived out. But Jesus spoke as if he wielded the very authority of God. We know now that he does. He'd go on to demonstrate God's character and miraculous healings and provision, confounding humility and compassion, and wisdom that challenged and perplexed those who threatened, who were threatened by him. And finally, he demonstrated the fullness of his love by giving himself up to death at our hands, forgiving our sin, claiming victory over death for not only himself, but for all those who follow him. In light of who he is, the message that he spoke on the mount is even more precious. He spoke of a holiness and a righteousness that surpassed even the most rigid religious teachers, right? The good news being that we can discover the wholeness and perfection of God's character in our lives. He spoke of a deep and a genuine faith. He taught as if he actually believed that those li uh, listening could live up to what he was asking of them. And he proclaimed a way of life that balanced conviction and devotion with this profound rest from freedom and worry. Now we know that it's not easy, right? There are some people who listen to or, or have seen the Sermon on the Mount and they think it, the, it's hyperbolic teaching, that we could never possibly live up to that. And we know that it is very difficult because our sinful and our wounded hearts tell us that we need to strive, to accomplish, to earn love, to, to be worthy of anything that God would give us. And, when we inevitably fall short, we're then tempted to put up a front to make people think that we're better than we are, to look like a good tree rather than actually be a good tree. And maybe we can even keep it up long enough that we can trick others and ourselves into believing it. And Jesus seems to say, yeah, you can do that, and it will probably work out for a little bit, but that's about all the reward that you're going to get. It will only last for so long. You guys know the Leaning Tower of Pisa? Uh, it's famous lean isn't actually because they used inferior materials or bad design for it. It's literally leaning because it was built on sand and clay. 
just like in the parable, right? They've managed to keep that thing up for like 200 years. It actually closed down between the 90s and up through 2008 so that they could do some work on it to make sure that it wouldn't actually topple over, but be uh, upright just enough to, to still stand and yet be a fun forest attraction. So people can see it, right? It's entertaining in the meantime, but we all know that it won't last. Don't let that be true of your life. Don't let the condition of your heart and spirit become a tourist attraction because of how miraculous it is that you're still standing. The real treasure, real, whole, restored, vibrant life, it comes with honesty, surrender to God. I know that I'm not all that old, um, but I have become fairly well acquainted with my own shortcomings. Uh, something about parenthood in particular can do that to you when you realize uh, how fall short of the mark you often fall. Uh, and I've got a whole host of un unhealthy behaviors in my life, and I fall short of God's glory every day. By God's grace, I have been able to gain some insight into some of those poor wounds and, and lies and the desires in my heart that lead me and tempt me into some of those areas. Pretty much every unhealthy pattern in my life, I know, stems back to this longing to be validated, to be seen to be wanted, even celebrated for who I am. Now, that is a good desire that's within us, uh, particularly when we are bringing it to God for him to accept us, to celebrate us as his children, right? But it gets really wonky when we go to anywhere else or anything else in order to try to fulfill that desire, which I do a lot. It happens quite frequently. I'll get lost in the comparison game. I might try to numb my feelings of disappointment with sweets with media, uh, or sometimes even try to rig the game by putting my expectations low to begin with, so I'm not that disappointed if things don't work out like I might hope. I'm sharing this for a reason. It's not just like a pity party for me and like my own things. I'm sharing it because I know that every single other person in this room, we all have our own stuff. We all have our own wounds and things, and my point is just this. Your, your, yours might not be the same as mine, and even if, the, if it's a similar wound, it might express itself in different ways. But your life doesn't have to be special to be significant. You are already completely loved and valued by God. You proved it through the cross. You don't need to worry about making yourself into something that you aren't just to be loved valued, and taken care of. All that Jesus asks of any of us and asks of you is for you, just you, to build your life on his foundation, to pursue faithfulness and wholeness with his help, on his terms, with whatever you have. Better to build a shack on the rock of Jesus than a mansion in the sand. You do, I can promise that you will make more of that than you can ever imagine out of the little that you have. And it will last forever, not just a lifetime. Now, I've mentioned uh, in the last couple of weeks that as we uh, are journeying through this month, we have our membership renewal Sunday coming at the end of the month. And, uh, and membership is kind of our way at Smokey Row of saying yes to like our shared understanding of what the life of faith means to live it out together. It means to be committed to follow Jesus. It means we accept him together as our foundation, as the way, the truth, and the life. 
That's why we have that saying that we are becoming more like Jesus all the time, right? Because he's worth it. His example is worth it. Uh, giving him glory is worth it, both as individuals and as a community, as his people. So may we all together rest our feet on that sure foot. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the way you have revealed yourself to us. That in the midst of our need, in the midst of a world that is so often as if we are walking upon sinking sand, that you have given us your truth, your love, your presence as our firm foundation. That you have invited us into a light that is truly light. That you've not left us groping in the dark, but you have shown us yourself. And more than even just teaching and giving us your word, that you have invited us into a relationship and you have shown your love in such a way that we can actually be healed and reconciled. We can rely upon you. So Lord, help us. Help us to see to recognize you and your work, to count the cost of what it means to follow you, choose you knowing that you are more valuable and precious and good than any other 